Hello and welcome to Family Renewal. I'm Israel Wayne, your host. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as we take a look at faith, family, and culture, all through the lenses of a biblical worldview. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Well, we're glad to have you with us for this new edition of our podcast with Family Renewal. And tonight, my wife, Brooke, and I are going to be talking about an interesting subject, and that is the question of teaching philosophy to your children. Fairly controversial topic. Some parents would say that it's essential to include philosophy as a subject within the core curricula. Some parents would say that's a bad idea. Philosophy is misguiding, it's misleading, it's humanistic, and we should avoid it altogether. That we should just stick with teaching the Bible and that we should not delve into the issue of philosophy whatsoever. So that's something we want to try to explore tonight and talk about, and, and hopefully we'll be able to uh, at least raise more questions, even if we don't get to solving all the world's problems tonight. Maybe we'll at least get to, uh, to raise some uh, questions that will help you to think through this issue as it relates to your own family. So we're hoping to also cover some of the issues of maybe even what age to start teaching philosophy, maybe even some practical ideas and and uh, resources that you might be able to look into on teaching this. Philosophy is something that Israel has been interested in for years and years. I myself um, kind of skirted the issue as a high school homeschooler, and so we're going to talk about some differences there and, and bring out some why teach your children philosophy. You know, you might want to uh, share with them a little bit about our last child, uh, we're actually expecting baby number eight, but when baby number seven came <laughs> yes. along, uh, I have just always wanted to name one of my children philosophy because I just love that. Can you imagine so, that? <laughs> philosophy is a name. I think it's a, a great idea to name mm-hmm. a child something noble and worthy like that. And so for some reason, though, uh, you didn't like that name. No, I really didn't. I, I mean, I couldn't even quite wrap my right mind around calling him Phil or something like that for short. Yeah, so when our seventh child was born, it actually was a daughter. And um, you really didn't want to name a daughter philosophy. No, that is true. For some reason. And so we kind of had to compromise. And, and this could be a whole other marriage track, actually. Uh, where we could discuss the whole issue of how do you work through differences in marriage. But we'll, we'll save that for uh, another <laughs> night. Yes. But, um, but somehow we had to come, we had to name our child something. And so it occurred to me, uh, when you look at the etymology of the word philosophy, philosophy is actually a good word. Yes, it is. Some people don't realize that, but it comes from the Greek language, and it's actually from two Greek words, uh, philos and sophia. Philos, of course, is the word from which we get the city, Philadelphia, mm-hmm. uh, which is the city of brotherly love. And so philos is a Greek word for love and uh, t- has to do particularly with um, with brotherly love or, or family love, that and kind of thing. Sophia means wisdom, correct, in right. Greek? Yeah, so Sophia is wisdom. Uh, sophists or sophistry within Greek philosophy that was uh, the study or the pursuit of 
of wisdom. So that's what etymologically that word philosophy means. It means the love of wisdom. And when you read in Proverbs, there are many passages in Proverbs where it talks about loving wisdom. If you love wisdom, if you cherish wisdom, she will protect you, she will Mm -hmm. guide you. And so all of Proverbs really is a call to philosophy. To, to love wisdom, To love yes. wisdom, loving wisdom. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting because you had always liked the name Charity. Yes. As a girl's name, which of course is love. And, uh, and Sophia uh, is a very nice girl's name. And so we, we ended up naming our daughter Charity Sophia, uh, which means love wisdom. So you got your little philosophy after all. Exactly. So <laughs> it worked out. So see, that's uh, just a, a kind of little marriage tip for you there. That there, there's there's usually a workaround with these things so that both sides can end up happy and uh, and and maybe your children don't hate you later in life too. So, um, but on this issue of philosophy, uh, what do you think are some of the objections that people have to studying philosophy? I know for myself, I'd kind of thought about, um, and, you know, realizing this philosophy often comes from the Greek because it comes from a pagan culture. And I uh, really questioned whether it's necessary to soak yourself in understanding um, the perspectives from these pagan thinkers from ancient times, or if it would be better just to soak myself in the truth, uh, particularly of Scripture. So um, that was something I questioned, and I'd kind of like you to address that later on at least. So I guess one of the scriptures that comes to my mind that, um, you know, I'd like you to address as far as how we should study philosophy or should not study philosophy comes from Colossians 2, 6 through 8. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. Again, that's from Colossians, and it's saying don't be taken by captive by philosophy. What what would you say to that? Well, my contention, my argument would be that everyone is going to do philosophy. You are going to pursue wisdom and knowledge and information. There's just no way around that. And so the question is, what is the basis, what is the foundation for your philosophy? Is the basis of your philosophy humanistic traditions and wisdom? Are you relying on the wisdom of man or are you relying on the wisdom of God? I believe that God is the author of all knowledge and that without God, it's incapable for us to know anything definitively. So would you say it's it's kind of a, a little bit of a semantics of loving the wisdom of God or loving the wisdom of humans? Absolutely, in the sense that um, you're always going to be thinking, you're always going to be asking inquisitive questions about reality and about life. And so the question is, is God the foundation for those questions, or have you excluded God from the equation? And are you simply doing this as an exaltation of human knowledge? Because, you know, Paul said that knowledge can puff up. It can make somebody arrogant. And so from within a biblical worldview, 
We don't want to encourage with our children a kind of intellectualism that excludes God and that promotes uh, the human intellect and exalts man. You know, as one of the Greek philosophers said, that man is the measure of all things. And uh, that obviously is kind of the definition of humanism. Um, man being autonomous or being the source for all truth within himself. That is idolatry. It's offensive to God. But the pursuit of knowledge and wisdom and understanding, the Scripture tells us that the fear of the Lord is the foundation for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Mm -hmm. And so as Christians, we start with that foundation of the fear of the Lord, and we base the inquiry of knowledge and, and information uh, on that foundational premise. So I think we do philosophy. I just think we have a different starting point than the unbeliever does. Okay. Well, one other uh, passage that comes to my mind is that one in 1 Corinthians 1. Um, this is verses 20 through 25. It's kind of a long passage, but I'd like to read it so we could discuss it some more. It says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Again, there I see that, the wisdom of the world that we were just discussing. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Yes, well, I think, again, there are two different ways that we can approach this. In the pursuit of wisdom, we can pursue, as it sa- pursue, as it says, the wisdom of men. You know, what is the wisdom of man? Well, that's just man's opinions. It's what man thinks. It's what he determines from either his own observation or just from his own rationality. Um, but we're always going to be doing, as I said, the pursuit of of knowledge and wisdom and information. It's just, is this something that uh, is going to be glorifying God and recognizing God? It's like Romans 1 where Paul says that, you know, the unbeliever has access to the same information, the same data that we have, but he chooses to suppress the truth in unrighteousness, to push it away from him because he doesn't want to acknowledge that there's a God. And so he worships the created things rather than the creator. Uh, He ignores God and he actually suppresses or pushes away the truth and the knowledge of God. Uh, So again, I think that the warning here is against a kind of intellectualism that is rooted in human pride and that ignores God. And that certainly is, I believe, the foundation for many of the ancient as well as Enlightenment philosophers that they were looking for a reality uh, that was separated from God. So what would be some of the differences in how a person would pursue uh, seeking after the wisdom of God versus seeking after the wisdom of humans? Is it merely a, um, a perspective, or is it an actual um, way that you go about studying that? 
Yeah, well, let me do this. Let me kind of break down philosophy into its different disciplines so that we can understand a little bit better about how we would do philosophy from within a biblical worldview. Sure, that'd be helpful. Uh, the most essential foundational level of philosophy for someone who takes a course in it is going to be what's called epistemology. Okay. Epistemology. So what's, and what's that? Again, etymologically, that comes from a couple of Greek words, episteme and logos. Uh, and um, episteme is basically uh, to know. And so it's this studying, this foundation of, of knowledge and learning. What is the basis of what we know or what's the basis of, of truth? And so epistemology is the discipline or study of how we can know what we know or how we know what is true. And there's a Christian way of doing epistemology, and there's an anti-Christian way of doing epistemology. From within a biblical worldview, we believe that everything that we know, we know as a result of revelation. If, we, if something is possible for us to know, we know it because God has revealed it to us. Again, this goes back to Romans 1, where Paul is arguing that all the knowledge and information in the universe has been given to us through the revelation of God. And in Colossians 1, he says that God has revealed himself through the created order, that through Jesus Christ, God has made the world, and that he has revealed himself through the visible things and the invisible things through the physical, tangible universe, but also the intangible things. So there are invisible elements, laws, if you will, that are within this world, and we know them from revelation. So things like physics and mathematics and music theory and those kinds of principles, we know those things uh, from what the theologians call general revelation. General revelation is when God has revealed himself in the created order, in the universe itself, in the laws of the universe, the physical laws that govern uh, the world that he created and the universe he created. And so those would control and govern both the physical things, the visible things, as well as the invisible things. And the invisible things are called the metaphysical things. And so that's another discipline then of philosophy is metaphysics. Metaphysics is the study of reality. What is real? How do we know what is real? How do we know that something is true and not just an illusion? So when we look at epistemology, the anti-Christian view of epistemology is that we know what we know from our own rationality, from our own senses, our empirical senses, you know, what we can taste and touch and, and uh, s smell and hear and see, those are the things that we can be certain of. We are certain of the things that we experience with our empirical senses. But again, the way I like to look at it is, if there's no information out there, then there's no knowledge. Or the way that I, again, that I like to illustrate it is that we're like a radio. Mm -hmm. And we're created with the ability to receive information. And we're created with two frequencies, AM and FM. AM allows us to tap into general revelation. And everybody has that. Romans 1 says that, that the unbeliever is without excuse because he knows God made everything from just looking at the physical world. But... 
we also, as believers, can tap into what's called special revelation. We know that not only has God revealed himself through the created order, through the laws of the universe, but he also has stepped inside of space and time, and he has spoken to us through extra natural, if you would call it that, supernatural means. And some of those things in the Bible included God speaking through a burning bush or through a dream or a vision or an angelic visitation or a word of prophecy or something like that. The scripture itself actually is special revelation. It's a revelation of God where he has spoken to us in some special way that's outside of the physical universe. So we are created as physical persons with the capacity to receive knowledge and information. And we're, so we're like a radio that has both an AM and an FM frequency. Let's say on FM, we can tune into special revelation, God's revelation of himself through a supernatural means. And then AM, general revelation, where we tune into God's revelation through natural means. The unbeliever tunes into AM, mm-hmm. but his claim is that, another illustration that I like to use sometimes is, I'll ask uh, an audience, have you ever driven through New Mexico? <laughs> we just did that on our road trip out to California. We took a 32-day road trip with our family and drove out through Nevada and New Mexico uh, and Arizona uh, on our way to California and back. And when you get out in New Mexico, you can hit places right. out there. There's just nothing out there. Yeah, you turn on the radio, and that radio dial, the digital radio dial, will just spin. AM, FM, there's no information out there. And so why weren't we listening to the radio? It wasn't because the radio was broken. That's true. The radio was created with intelligent design to be able to receive information, but there was no broadcast. So what the atheist says is that we are getting information, but we're getting it from nowhere. That there is no broadcast tower, the broadcast tower, of course, being God, uh, and the uh, transmission being information or revelation. He says we're getting information, but we're getting it from nowhere. It's being broadcast uh, from time plus matter plus chance. There is no broadcast tower out there. And so the atheist has a very different epistemology than we do, that knowledge is gained simply from our own empirical senses, from our reason, from our rationality, and that we can know everything that there is to know simply because we are a radio. And my contention would be, no, you have to have information, and that information comes only from God. Now, you had mentioned epistemology, And uh, you brought up the word metaphysics, and you said that had to do with understanding reality. You know, that sounds like something that's really important as far as we are talking about a a God who um, created us in a real environment. We're not a dream, etc. Could you tell me more about the Christian perspective of metaphysics? Well, yes, the biblical view of metaphysics is that we are both physical and spiritual beings. Mm. Um, We also believe metaphysically that there is an objective reality. We believe in something called foundational realism, that there is a reality that is true and objective quite apart from us, quite apart from our perception of it, quite apart from what we believe about it, that um, 
what is real is really there. So we believe that we're physical and spiritual beings. If you read the works of Descartes, for example, he had a very confused metaphysic where he questioned even his own existence. And he had his famous Latin dictum, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am, which is basically he was questioning whether he even existed. And then he said, well, if I am thinking about my existence, then there must be a me here who's doing the thinking about my Mm -hmm. existence. So I must exist in order to be thinking. Right. So since I'm thinking, then there's a me and I, I exist. So I think, therefore I am, cogito ergo sum. Uh, David Hume, the skeptic, basically had a metaphysic that said, he said that we can't be certain of anything, even the reality of our own existence. So we believe as Christians in what's called foundational realism, again, that there is an objective reality out there. Uh, These views of epistemology, of aesthetics, of logic, of metaphysics, of ethics, of law, of political theory, these subsets of philosophy are all vitally important, in my view, they're vitally important for us to understand because these are the foundational building blocks of all of the rest of thinking, at least in terms of dealing with civil society. Um, They're important for us as individuals, but particularly when we start thinking collectively about how we live together in a society and how we do life in the context of other people, I think these become especially important. Well, I can kind of see, uh, you know, just as young people are coming to older age, um, they're coming out of their late teenager years, they're starting to run into a lot of other people who have either studied philosophy from a worldly perspective, studying the wisdom of humanism, or... um, Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think within the college scene, for example, a lot of Christians get into their freshman year of college, they take a philosophy 101 class, and they are swept away by a different ideology, a different philosophy. Right. It's like they're introduced to these concepts of, oh, do you really exist? Is it just you're somebody's dream or you're in a dream or you're dreaming or, you know, the facts of do I even exist or am I thinking this or what's reality? And I guess that would all apply to the metaphysical, but just even epistemology, too, as far as what is true and how do I know it if they've never thought about these issues, if they've never been confronted with that perspective, a different perspective than, um, you know, would have been presented in their homeschool or their church, that that can really rock a young person's boat. And I wonder, how would you go about encouraging parents to come to a point in the younger ages where they're helping their child to see there are different perspectives, there are people that believe differently, but, um, Here's how they can come to some some knowledge of what is true. Yeah, I think you have to talk about false ideologies, talk about false philosophies, and develop discussions with your children while they're still in your home. I don't think it's a good or wise idea for Christian parents to shelter their children from information like the theory of evolution or the philosophies of the Greeks or the Enlightenment thinkers. I think it's good to talk about them. Uh, obviously, you have to know what is true uh, before you immerse your child in the works of Voltaire or you know Friedrich Nietzsche or these anti-Christian philosophers and thinkers. And, and honestly, 
Uh, I think that our children don't need to be immersed in their works, but they need to be familiar with them, and they need to know what they thought and what they taught and believed, uh, and to understand their views, um, not being taught as truth, which they'll possibly be taught in a secular classroom, but to be um, exposed to them so that they know what is true, but then they also know how to refute the falsehood. So maybe more of a presentation in a, in a shortened sense of um, not just turning a child or a young person loose on some of these uh, ancient philosophers or even the modern philosophers, but giving them a short and condensed version of here's what their main purpose was, here's what they believed, and being able to say, here's why this was wrong. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I think that's the goal of all Christian parents to accomplish that because you know there may come a time where your children are no longer under your household, they're no longer under your influence, and they need to know how to stand on their own two feet and be able to defend the Christian faith. You know, I have often heard Daniel spoken of as this, this young man who was able to go into the worldly and secular teaching um, philosophies of the would have been the Babylonians, I guess. And he held strong. And that's that's a perspective I see as totally false. He was dragged there and taken away from his family. And yet Daniel did stand strong. Daniel 1.17 says, As for these four children, talking about Daniel and, of course, the three friends, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. Now, some translations use the word philosophy there in place of the word wisdom. So God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom or philosophy. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. You know, this is our hope and our prayer for our children that they will be able to stand strong in the wisdom of God when faced with the wisdom of man. I think another issue of philosophy that's really important is the issue of ethics. From an anti-Christian worldview, uh, they would hold to situational ethics or relativistic ethics. Uh, there are several different approaches to ethics from within an anti-Christian worldview. One is that you are autonomous and that you decide for yourself what is right and wrong, kind of an anarchist viewpoint that each person gets to determine their own individual morality. Or then there is cultural relativism, which is that each culture or subgroup or tribe gets to determine what's right or wrong for themselves. So it might be wrong for us here in America to kill our children, for example, but let's say that some native tribe in a jungle in another country decided within their group that they wanted to do that, uh, the cultural ethics would say, well, who are we to judge? Who are we to say that they're wrong to do that? I remember I was getting a haircut one time and was talking with a barber, and he said, well, in China, you know, they have to abort children over there because of the population problem. And who are we here in America to say that it's wrong for them to have abortions when, you know, the, we don't live in their culture and we don't understand uh, what they live with over there. And so I actually pushed him a little bit to the issue of infanticide. And he said that he wouldn't like it, but he said that he couldn't think of any reason to say that it was wrong if they determined if 51% of the majority of the people in that country or the governing r rulers, the oligarchy, if you will, the ruling authorities decided that it was okay. He couldn't think of a reason why 
even infanticide, the killing of of born babies would be a bad thing. Wow, that's so sad, and and it's so reflective of our world culture today. Yes, he just had no moral plumb line. So a biblical worldview would be that God himself in his nature and character is the standard, is the plumb line that determines what is true and what is false. And then, of course, from ethics comes law and political theory. Uh, Is God the basis of law or is human desire the basis of law? And if humankind and human rationality is the basis of law, then you never have objective morality. Hmm. You can never truly say that anything is objectively right or wrong, good or evil. You can only say that it's legal or illegal, or you can say, I don't like it. But it's a vast difference between uh, saying something is right or wrong, moral or immoral, good or evil, and saying, well, I don't prefer that. Those are two phenomenally different concepts. So, you know, epistemology, logic, aesthetics, metaphysics, ethics, law, political theory, uh, these are all subsets of philosophy, and these are things that, as Christians, we need to equip our children with a biblical worldview, show them what an anti-Christian worldview on each of these subjects looks like, and then uh, equip them to be able to apply the Bible to apply scriptural principles to all areas of life. You know, a lot of times I think, uh, at least I found that we don't even have to really systematically search for ways to teach this. It just crops up in our life. Uh, We're even very careful about any television exposure or uh, media coming into our home, especially for our children. You run into the people at the grocery store that will bring a a worldly perspective, a humanistic perspective, and it's coming always at us, it seems. And so it just provides good opportunities to talk to children. But um, what ages would you recommend maybe setting a child down and and having a little more formal instruction about philosophy? I think when they reach junior high is a really important time to start talking formally about uh, issues of philosophy, and then certainly in high school. And there are some curriculum programs out there that do a great job, and um, I won't recommend particular ones here on the broadcast, but maybe we can have some of those authors on at a certain point, and we can discuss their programs and and talk with them about what they do. Um, But I would encourage our listeners to get a copy of my book, Homeschooling from a Biblical Worldview. We talk about philosophy in that book, as well as how to teach language arts and geography and math and science and history all these different academic disciplines from a very definitive biblical philosophy, learning how to integrate all of life and view it from within the lenses of Scripture. So we're really thankful you've tuned in with us tonight uh, for this broadcast, and we are looking forward to our next podcast with you. Uh, Thank you so much, and God bless you. Bye-bye.